Job 1, verse 1, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. There were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 she-asses, and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. And his sons went and feasted in their houses every one his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And it was so, when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them, and rose up early in the morning, and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually... Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Satan came also among them, and the Lord said to Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said to Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God, and escheweth evil. Job is one of the most famous people in all the Bible. Not just the saved, but the unsaved alike. Know of this man and what he suffered. The Bible tells us Job was perfect and upright. He feared God and eschewed evil. Now, this, these are not words of a man. These are words divinely inspired by God himself to inform us of who this man was. He is set up as our example. Yes, we understand with sin, with flaws. Occasionally we see in this book the frustration begin to boil over. At some point he sought death and there was a period of time where he lived extremely frustrated I imagine all of us in this spot would find ourselves extremely frustrated as well. And not just at a low point. I don't know how much lower he could possibly go. But in this chapter, there are a lot of explanations. And what I find so unique is a conversation that takes place in heaven is revealed to us on the earth. Now, this is a rare moment in Scripture where we actually get to participate in a conversation between Satan and God. And the Bible tells us of this man, his wealth, his substance, and we just see greatness across the board of family. This is the picture-perfect family circumstance. Ten kids that loved each other, loved their parents, Dad, every day, the Bible says continually, I believe it was every single day, that he'd wake up. Now, if you have 10 in number, that means 10 animal sacrifices. Those are animals without spot, without blemish. This was costing him a fortune just in the sacrifices that were being made to God in his prayer for his family. Not a perfect life, but a good life. He was the wealthiest in the region. But suddenly this would change. We all know when the 24, within a 24-hour period, what would take place and it would go from the very top, the height of success, 
to the very bottom. I'm talking about from the moment he woke up on top of the world to the time he laid his head on the pillow that night, he was at the very bottom. Drastic change that took place. And it was all based on a conversation. Look what happens in verse 6. The Bible says, There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. This is speaking of angels, Satan and his minions, surprisingly allowed access to God. And Satan does this. We see in the book of Revelation that Satan is continually making accusations against God's people and their motives. And uh, God is the one in this case. We can't understand. We would not agree. How is it the most righteous man of his day is going to be brought to the attention of Satan by God himself. But it is God that says, Hast thou considered my servant Job? Words straight out of God's mouth. There is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man. You say, I wish God would speak about me on those terms. Maybe not, because we see what is to follow. God is going to use Job to poke Satan in the eyeball. But he says he's one that feared God. Now, here's what Satan couldn't believe. Uh, love God possibly, fear God. Uh, no, I, I don't believe that. Here's the question, really, that's going to be asked when God begins to brag on Job. Satan's immediate response to this in verse 9 was, Doth Job fear God for not? Hast not thou made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. He said, obviously, Job has a motive for loving you. He's got a perfect family. He's got incredible wealth. He's got a great job. He's revered. His reputation is impeccable. Everything is in perfect order. He has great health. How in the world can you say that he loves you and fears you when basically he's living in a perfect little bubble with almost no problems in life? Anyone could love you in those circumstances. Now that's Satan's job, literally, that's what he's done. I do not believe uh, this is the last time that Satan has accused one of God's dearest and strongest saints. And he says, motives, motives. He is doing this because he loves the blessing. You have hedged him. And church, let me, I don't want to park here, but I do want to mention it. The greatest place on the planet to be is in the center of God's will with his hedge of protection. I, I do not understand a Christian that is willing to risk God's hedge. And when God has hedged a person about, uh, there is beyond the personal blessing and the providential favors that is being bestowed upon Job, he literally is saying in this chapter, Satan has the power to bring great destruction upon the life of any person. Satan could roll your car, burn your house, and inflict you with great disease and sickness. Satan has that power, and it is God that puts a hedge about us and says, not without my permission. 
you're not going to touch that person. You're not going to touch that family. You're not going to touch that ministry. There isn't a day in my life that I don't pray for God's hedge of protection about 1300 Red Street and this ministry and my family and my children. And part of this hedge, we do have to understand, comes about as a result of the fear of God and the eschewing of evil. How many of you here actually understand that your participation in sin drops the hedge of protection of God on your life? It removes that hedge. There are people sitting in this building that allowed themselves. God did not remove the hedge. God helped establish a hedge and fearing God establish a hedge and issuing evil establish a hedge and obedience to God's word establish a hedge. But one day when you decide to make a gap in that hedge through sinful behavior, you've opened a door for Satan into your family, into your life, into your mind. And Christians are professionals in opening gaps into the hedge of God's protection and allowing Satan to get in and wreak havoc. Now, just for the love of your children, for the love of your children, the selfishness of a parent and the sinfulness of the heart to say, I would allow Satan to destroy my family so I can take pleasure in this sin. I don't know of any more base behavior in the life of a Christian that you would sacrifice your children on the altar of your selfishness. And here's what pride will do this morning, and I know this sounds severe and harsh, but my job is to preach the Word of God without filter. There are many here that will be made miserable by a message like this because you know that you have created the gap. You as a spiritual leader failed in your duty and created a gap in the hedge that allowed Satan to open doors because you unlocked them and allowed Satan to wreak havoc. And now as the consequences continue and grow, there either has to be a denial or an acceptance that says, I did that. That consequence, what happens here is not the consequence of Job opening the door to Satan. This is God saying, I'm going to prove something through my servant Job. Now God would use Job not just in this day to poke Satan in the eye, but he would use him for thousands of years is an example to help Christians all across the planet understand grief and understand sorrow and understand suffering. In church, when it comes to suffering, we understand grief, sorrow. Some in life is self-inflicted. I would say the majority is self-inflicted. Poor decision-making, wrong choices, sin, some of it is simply the fact that we live on a sin-cursed planet. I know people who look at sickness and death as if it were the judgment of God. No, those are natural occurrences on a sin-cursed planet. That's inevitable. Does everyone here understand? Those are inevitable occurrences. You don't get to determine how you die or when you die or how much suffering is included in your death. I, how many prefer the rapture? 
You just want so man, I, I just like to be raptured out of here. That's me. That's my preference. But that's not something I can guarantee. But here's what Job was doing. Here's a man who had lived righteously, who had lived focused on pleasing God, who lived without a church, without a Bible, without the indwelling Holy Spirit of God, without a pastor to encourage him, without Christian brethren who were actually spirit-filled in their help. We'll talk about his three friends. Uh, they weren't really friends at all that God rebukes quite severely in the latter chapters of this book. But here's what Job did. Job had lived a very pleasant, not a problem-free life, but a pleasant life because he had lived enjoying the providential hedge provided by God because of his fear for God. And church, let me distinguish once again. There's a big difference between loving God and fearing God. Pastors don't want to admit that, but there's a brutal reality. You can love God without fearing God. It's like a child that loves his grandparents and does not fear his grandparents because he knows dad is a disciplinarian. Grandpa is my ticket to being spoiled. Right? And I get to hear my dad say, you never treated us like that. <laughs> no, because you were never that innocent, never that precious, never that beautiful. That's why. But there is a fear and love that must be combined, and that is part of the hedge of protection. And another part of that hedge of protection is prayer. Here's what we see him constantly doing, praying. And if you are a spiritual leader in your home, you ought to be a spiritual leader in the area of prayer for your family individually, each child, saying, God, would you help me in the rearing of this child, but protecting them from evil, evil influences, that's not magic. That is, parents, let me explain. That prayer is not you avoiding your duty and your responsibility in the area of instruction and hoping that God will cover bases that you have avoided in performing the performance of your duty. God, I'm going to be lazy, and I want you to cover my deficiencies because I am a rebel, and I refuse to participate in what you've commanded me to do. No. This is God. I'm going to do everything within my possibility to make sure these children grow up loving you, serving you, and fearing you. But God, if there's something I haven't noticed, if there's something in their hearts, here's what Job was praying back in verse 5. He said, if there's some evil there that I haven't been able to deal with or I've overlooked, God, if you would deal with that sin in their life, bring it to their attention, help them to confess and forsake that sin. And this is what he was doing. You know how much work it is to make 10 sacrifices? Have you... Have you ever considered what he was doing? Ten sacrifices for ten children. It's a lot of work, a lot of money, and a lot of prayer. Here was a father concerned about his family, but that hedge was there. And here's, here's what we see in this conversation. There was a lot of confidence. Now, this is called extreme confidence. Let me ask you this. 
You love the material goods of this life more than you love God. Now, hold, we're not going to rush on because I need you to meditate on that for a minute. Because our answer would be, of course, but the truth might not be the same as our answer. Do you love God? And here's what Satan said. He loves you. But he loves the things and the blessings of life more than he loves you. And the proof will be in the loss of those things, a lessening of his love for you. Now, this is where American Christianity should not be tested because the revelation would be devastating. Missions conference is more proof of this than the average church. Can God take something from you and you say it's okay because all I need is God? Here's what Satan said. God, you have a prime son down there that you have on display. And you are bragging on that boy and telling me he is perfect. Perfect? Perfect? God, you want, you want to take back that word? You want to hold tight? And he repeats it. Upright? That, that means righteous in all of his ways. He, he actually fears you and hates evil. Now, can God, I'm not, I'm not talking about another man speaking of you, but God speaking of you. He knows your heart. He knows your motives. He knows what no one else knows. He knows what's done in secret. He knows what's done in private. He knows you on Monday and Friday night, not just the you on Sunday and Wednesday night. And Satan said, God, there's no man that can live out your description like you just spoke of Job. Do you want to take that back? And God said, no. He said, well, that's all good, but it's superficial because motives are more based on the blessings than the actual love and fear and if, if you got rid of some of his wealth and God said, I'm going to prove a point, Satan. I'm going to let Satan poke you in the eye and kick you in the ship. Let me ask you, how many of you here in your right mind say, I want to be used of God to poke Satan in the eye and kick him in the ship? I'm not raising my hand. So, we get, here's the problem, we get, a, we get to hear the conversation between these two. The problem is Job was not privy to that conversation. So we have the benefit of knowing what God's mind was. But his friends did not know the conversation. His wife did not know the conversation. And he was oblivious. So what is about ready to unfold all happens with a man that is wondering why in a day? Okay, you can't make this kind of thing up. This is not bad luck. This is not coincidental. This is as bad as it can possibly get. Now look what it says. Look at the succession of events that's about ready to take place. 
Verse 11, put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath. He will curse thee, Satan says, with confidence to thy face. And the Lord doesn't back up a single bit. The Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power, only upon himself put not forth thine hand. Now this is something amazing. This chapter is full of amazing statements and facts that we struggle to wrap our minds around. But here's a man that is doing right. Satan is allowed to have a conversation, a personal conversation with God. God brings up his choice servant, points him out. Satan questions his motives. And then God removes the hedge of protection with such confidence. Satan says, there's a hedge. I can't even do anything. He's living the dream and I can't do anything. He has a perfect life and a perfect house and a perfect wife and perfect income and perfect friendship. His life is perfect. And God says, I'll lift the hedge. Now, let me ask you this. If God lifts the hedge on your life, can he do it with confidence? Now, I'm not, I'm not talking about you reaping what you sowed and you, right. you made a bad decision and right. consequences of your action are just sin cursed. Earth. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about, could God say, Satan, this, this guy is so strong and so spiritual and he loves me and he fears me and it doesn't matter what you take from him. His love for me and his fear is not going to change a single bit. Does God, does your pastor have that kind of confidence? <laughs> Does your wife, do your friends? Let's talk about them before we talk about God. And God says, now, now let me ask you this. How many of you ever want God to speak these words about you? All that he hath is in thy power, only upon himself put forth, put not forth thy hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord, which means Satan can wreak havoc, but only with the permission of of God. And there was a day. Isn't this an amazing fact about trouble? You wake up with no idea that today is the day that the doctors are coming with the bad news. Today is the day of the accident. Today is the day of the fire. Today is the day of grief. Today is the day of death. Job woke up that morning he ate his oatmeal. He sent out his servants. He thought it would be another normal day. But boy, did he think wrong. There was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their elders for this house. Now look at the succession of events. There came a messenger unto Joe. There he is. The weather was beautiful. The breakfast was great. The oxen were plowing. The asses were feeding beside them. And here's what the servant says. He's stumbling and bumbling all over himself because he's had to run to Job to get him the word. He said, the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them away. Yea, 500 oxen, 500 asses. They've slain thy servants with the edge of the sword. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. 
he, he's struggling to get this out. He's overwhelmed by what he's experienced. He said, there's blood everywhere. Those servants have been stabbed and beheaded and slain. The animals are all gone. Job's just trying to process the loss here of his servants. He just ate breakfast with them. He just sent them out. These are friends that he's had for years. These are people that he loves and admires. They've served him. He's served them. Just minutes ago, everything was perfectly fine. And now they're dead and the animals are gone. And if that's not a big enough blow. Now, let me just say this as we meander through this text. This all was done by Satan. Isn't it amazing we live in a world where God gets no credit for any good? No one walks out and says, look at the trees, God, that you've created in the mountains and the water and the, the beauty of the planet. And look at the cows in the field. God, you did all of this. I want to magnify your great name. No, no mention of God. But as soon as a tornado strikes, a hurricane, a wildfire, a pandemic... It's God. If you read your Bible, you'll find out real quick. Satan has the power and the desire and often is the culprit. What about, I had someone ask me this week, what about a storm? Uh, read Job 1. Satan has been unleashed around this world. You know what we see? You, you see mobs of 150 kids go into stores and steal and hurt and maim. Let me tell you what that is. It's called satanic. Satan is the author of that kind of behavior. And here come the thieves. Satan was behind that. Satan was the one that guided them right. These Sabaeans had existed stealing things their whole lives. They had never had the courage to attack Job, but today Satan has guided them in their route to do the damage exactly that they had done. And look what it says. While he was yet speaking, now let me ask you, is this coincidental that this first man arrives and while he is speaking, in comes the next with more bad news? While he was just speaking, there came another. The fire, now hold on for a second. This is the way men speak. The fire of God. Was this the fire of God? Now let me ask you this. It is a supernatural occurrence. If you have fire fall from heaven, how many of you have ever seen fire fall from heaven in your lifetime? No one here. Right? That would be a supernatural occurrence. Now, in his mind, this had to be God. The only problem was we know this was not God. Satan, too, has the power to send fire from heaven, and he did. Uh, look what it says. The fire of God's fallen from heaven. has burned the sheep and the servants and consumed. Now, he has one group of servants. He, I don't believe at this point that Job's concerned about the numerical loss. Now, we're talking now hundreds of thousands of dollars in cattle and sheep that have been lost. The first group has been rustled. The next group, fire falls, and it doesn't just burn 
the sheep, it burns the servants. So he knows on part of my property, I have men laying there that have been slain with the sword. It's going to be ugly. It's going to be gruesome. And just, just a funeral. Any of you that have been in foreign countries that know without embalming, burials have to take place within 24 hours. Okay, in 24 hours, we have these servants that have been slain with the sword, and now I have a group of servants. We're going to have to go pick up their ashes. And he's saying, I've got to tell these wives, and I've got to tell these children about daddy's death. Do you understand the, the waves of emotion and what Job is feeling at this moment and saying, how is this possible? I mean, the, the first servant ain't even finished speaking before the second servant comes, interrupts, and with even worse news, wait, here comes more bad news. First 17, while he was just speaking, there came another and said, the Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away. And slain thy servants to the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped. You have the only three survivors of three tragedies. Once again, here come a different group of roving rustlers, and they have taken his camels and slain servants. Now, how do you process this? You're, you're the wealthiest rancher in all the world, and in a matter of minutes, every last animal you own is gone. Your wife is sitting there, she's hearing the news, and she's used to shopping at Macy's and Dillard's and Coach. And now she knows, I can't even afford to go to Walmart. Job is trying to process, how is this even possible? How, how have I lived such an amazing life and suddenly... Every bit of livestock that I own is gone, and every last servant that I have trained is dead, and I have three panicked men sitting here trying to process what they just lived. You want to talk about PTSD. They're suffering. Now look what it says. Verse 18, the worst is yet to come. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking. And this one he's thinking, no, no, no. No, I've already had enough bad news. I can't take this. I can't process this. Of all things, may it not be my family. But he's going to keep speaking. He says, thy sons and thy daughters, they're eating and drinking wine in the elder's brother's house. Behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness, smote the four corners of the house. Now, is there that the rustler, as you can explain away, that's an act of Satan. And the loss of camels, that, that's an act of Satan. But what about the fire from heaven? And what about the wind that takes the four corners of a house and picks it up and sets it down on ten kids? How do you process that? It fell upon the young men and they are dead. And I only am escaped to tell thee. Now, we're going to talk about Job's wife tonight. Men, we've not been honest with ourselves when we read Scripture. There is no wife on the planet that could process this and keep herself together. To lose one child is devastating. To lose several in the same accident is overwhelming. To lose all ten 
at the same time is emotionally impossible. She fell apart, yes, and so would you. I do not believe, and we'll see this this evening, when she said, curse God and die, I don't believe this is a woman speaking out of anger, but out of anguish. Not out of bitterness, but out of brokenness. Who is trying to process that which the human mind cannot process. This was all the hand of Satan against Job. Now, here come one of the most incredible statements in all the Bible. Look what it says. Job arose. He ran his mantle. He shaved his head. He fell down upon the ground. God was right. He worshiped. And then he speaks. Now, let me ask you this. How many of you have ever come under emotional distress and you spoke and you wish you could recapture those words and take them back? It was a moment. It was a simple moment. And the pressure was too great and the emotions were too high and the pain was too severe and you just, without filter, spoke. And you know it wasn't helpful and you know it wasn't honoring to God. But you put it in the context of the moment. Now put Job's words in the context of the moment. Put yourself in his seat. You've lost every earthly possession you have and all your kids, all but three of your servants are dead. And we're talking about a massacre that you're going to struggle to recognize the bodies. You're about ready to hold 50 funerals on the same night. And you only have three servants to help you organize the funerals. Here's what he said. Naked came I out of my mother's womb. Naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this Job sinned not nor charged God foolishly. Now we're going to do this because at church I don't know why I don't do this. This is not my style of preaching. The more I studied yesterday, the more I was rebuked by God. Because he told me the same thing. Go read the chapter. And I've been obedient to God this morning. We read a chapter that doesn't need a whole lot of explanation. It doesn't need a whole lot of expository commentary. All it needs is a Holy Spirit to deal with you wherever you're at, whatever you're suffering. Church, we're going to read this verse together and maybe you don't need it today. I hope you don't. But if you need it tomorrow, and maybe this is your health circumstances that will change. Maybe it's your financial circumstances that will change. Maybe it's your ministry circumstances that will change. It is the spiritual level that we struggle to comprehend that says these words. The Lord gave and the Lord taketh away. Whatever you have, it is because the Lord gave. That, that's not your talent. That's not your financial 
prowess. That's not your incredible ability to earn and save and make and invest. The Lord gave. And whatever you have lost, the Lord taketh away. So here's the question this morning. Is there something he has given you that if he takes it, would make you better? What if he takes your retirement account? What if he takes your pension? What if he takes your health? What if he takes your mate? What if he takes your child? I don't want to be there. Can I be honest with you, Ernest? I hate preaching these texts because I don't want to be there. I don't want to be God's prime example. <laughs> Not my desire. But here's what he said. Let's read it all together. The Lord gave. You ready? The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name now, the first part of that is very easy to say, the Lord gave. And then after that, something in your throat gets caught. The Lord taketh away. Why did God have to take that? I don't know. Now, there's a lot to still discuss in the next chapter and then the following chapters. There's so much to discuss here. But I think we can just stop right here. The Lord gave, the Lord taketh away. And then the spiritual say this. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 